0: Cybersecurity is not about installing anti-malware and a firewall. It's about creating a strategy. We need to find a way that it's secure, but it's usable. So it's it's pretty much on how we can balance those two concepts. I prefer to talk about standards, best practices in some cases, if we're not able to create uh, standards, and then try to be able to adopt those standards globally that we don't care if there's a law or not, we will be able to solve most of the issues that we're facing. IEEE SA Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity.
1: Hello, everyone. And welcome to season two of the IEEE SA's Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, and I lead the IEEE SA Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice. The practice is a platform for multidisciplinary stakeholders from around the globe looking to develop solutions for driving responsible adoption of new technologies and applications that will lead to more security, protection, and universal access to quality of care for all individuals. We know cybersecurity, which is our ultimate goal, is how do we protect the connected healthcare system, is evolving constantly, from increasing policy to a changing threat landscape, where there are still many risks and attempts to proactively combat this challenge as it's happening in real time anywhere throughout the globe. This season will bring you uh, experts to share with you what they're seeing uh, trend-wise globally and as well at a regional level. And with that, I would like to introduce Andres Velasquez from Matica to our podcast today. So Andres is gonna share some really great information with us. He has a very deep experience, more than 20 years in cybersecurity, cybercrime, computer forensics, and digital investigations. These are all the things that we need to know in a connected healthcare world. But before we get to his expertise, I'm gonna ask Andres to share a little bit about what he does at Matica and what actually inspires His passion to to go into this space.
0: Thank you very much, Maria. Matica uh, has been evolving for the last 15 years and actually I created Matica uh, back in the days because I saw that there was no computer forensic company in, in Latin America created Uh, the need for, for digital evidence or to find digital evidence to present it to, to court to different processes. Uh, was at, the, at that time something that made me make this decision. I was uh, trained by the U.S. Secret Service at some point. One of the things that I have been doing uh, is uh, helping a lot of, of organizations internationally against uh, child abuse. So uh, this are one of the things that, that we're doing. Uh, we actually are the crisis management team for the IT on some of the biggest, uh, hackings and bull narrations into, into some companies here in, in, in Latin America. So I think that will help to understand, uh, what we have been doing. How did I got into this field? I always loved computers at some point. I decided that cybersecurity will be the thing that will lead my way in, in this, in this life.
1: It's fascinating. Every time I talk to you, I always learn something new about you. I didn't know about the Secret Service thing. (laughs) So with that, um, you know, there was an interesting thing on your uh, LinkedIn profile. You had mentioned that you are an incident response enthusiast. It's the first time I've seen it. Maybe it might be out there somewhere else. But maybe you could just share a little bit of light. Exactly what came to your mind when you said that this is something that when you want to say about yourself?
0: It's it's kind of interesting on how how everything has changed in in, in the last 20 years. When I started doing uh, cybersecurity, everything was about firewalls, anti-malware. Well, at that time, was antivirus. Uh, then I started into policies and uh, all the the documents that you have to have, uh, and and everything started to move into into forensics, as I mentioned. The part of of computer forensics lead me to digital investigations and lead, digital investigation. led me uh, get into something that I really like and is how you can do incident response uh, and crisis management in clients. Most of the of the clients that we have uh, are on the financial sector. So it's kind of weird how I'm going to say this, but I love the adrenaline that I get when I I'm, I'm being called to solve an issue of, of a client of company that could get very messy.
1: <laughs> no, it's actually, uh, I wouldn't call it weird. We call it passion and we have many volunteers like you in our different programs which, which share similar passion, right? The idea to find a solution, to do something, to make something that was bad better uh, or find a good outcome for it. So. Um, that was one of the things that I found most exciting about our initial conversation. Uh, when we were talking, I noticed that you were very tactful in not using the term cybersecurity, and and you even mentioned to me that cybersecurity is a technology engineering term. But what we need to focus on is like risk mitigation and response. So, we're seeing more companies such as yourself, such your type, like Matika, who are getting into this sort of area and really proponing for this concept of risk mitigation, risk quantification, uh, proactive response, forensics, that kind of thing. So, maybe you can explain some of these concepts on this approach and why you believe in the world of connected healthcare, because that's where we're more and more moving towards. It's really important to incorporate this sort of approach into um, your strategy system.
0: Everything started because I have been training a lot of board of directors from different kind of companies in Latin America. When we talk about cybersecurity with them, they think it's it's something very technical you know, that you have to know how to program or you have to know what a, a distributed denial of service is. And uh the best way I have learned to talk to them is to talk about risk. And and it's very interesting because this can be applied to pretty much everybody else. Even on the personal side, if, if you listen to this podcast and uh, you start listening to some terms like, uh, I don't know, buffer or overflow, or, uh, you know, the the WAF, and on the, all those terms that, you know, for me, it's, it's very used to talk like that with acronyms, because I'm a very technical guy, well, you won't understand. So, so getting into the risk approach is better. We are used to react to risks. Businesses are used to understand that they have to do something about risk that could be implement a control, transfer the risk, or accept the risk. When we can link the risk into something that could affect the company in their reputation, uh, loss of the operation, or an incident that they could lose money by a lawsuit, a fine, the cost of getting back to operations, then they will understand the value of considering cybersecurity on their plans. And this is something that is interesting also because we, on the personal side, we're dealing with risk all the time. The only thing is we understand what the risk is. Let's talk about the pandemic situation that we're facing right now. I was in San Francisco when everything started. The news were very critical in the way that they were explaining what was happening, but at the end or at that time, they weren't really clear on on what were the risks. I remember all the things that I did on my flight back to Mexico that right now I I don't think they were wrong, but they weren't the right things to do at the the point so. Cybersecurity is not about installing anti-malware and a firewall, as I mentioned. It's about creating a strategy. Now, how can I link this to the healthcare perspective? Well, first of all, we need to understand that technology and cybersecurity, they're cousins, but they're not brothers. There is a gap in between them. Innovations in most of the cases has a lack of cybersecurity, leaving a lot of risk on the table. Their research and development teams are trying to create the most amazing devices, but at the end, those devices could have their own vulnerabilities. They can run in networks that have not been secured and the users of the technology are not aware of the risk when they have them on them. It's very interesting on the way how you presented these, these questions because, no, the companies in general, are not embracing this concept, they're still hiring people that will do cybersecurity as something that will go on the operation side, not really on the strategic side of the company.
1: Interesting. You know, risk is one element, and I think one of the things that sort of gets lost uh, is the concept of privacy, right? We think about, you know, secure breaches, What? Well, but what really we're, we're even uh, not focusing on is patient privacy. And you mentioned something very interesting to me when you said, and I found it so profound and insightful, when you said that there's a fight uh, to be between being comfortable versus being secure. And I'm just interested, and you said it in the scope of, you know there's a balance with the medical devices we use in hospitals versus consumer devices utilized in the home and in the concept of overall risk. Do you wanna just explain a little bit more what you mean by this fight, like what you have observed or what you're seeing as trends from that point of view?
0: Well, it, it's something that it's in the, that well, at least in this field, we discuss a lot. We always want to have the most secure infrastructure from internet of things, endpoints, servers, networks. Let's say that the information stored in our colleagues' computers is very confidential and we want to control as much how the user moves the information so the the person responsible to protect the information will block everything so it's more secure uh, but the user cannot do their job so we cannot lose all the controls because that will risk the confidentiality of the information so we we need to find a way that it's secure but it's usable so it's it's pretty much on how we can balance those those two concepts.
1: It's very interesting because we it's always sort of the question, you know, comfort quality versus, you know, uncomfortable but more secure. I mean, this is just a question in life we all see, right? This is the balance that we we have in everything that we do. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting is, you know, one of the reasons why I invited you on this is because you bring the Latin America perspective. And, you know, when we were talking, you, you had mentioned that you know, in Europe, they have GDPR where there is a consensus of governments who are following GDPR policy, you know, around privacy. But then when it comes to Latin America, you said there's some countries who may be a little more robust and others that are not. Are you getting a sense that those who are not are starting to embrace this concept of, you know, looking at regulation or protocols to sort of give more security? I mean, we know connected healthcare will be moving more and more into obviously the Latin American region. Just try to get your perspective and maybe some insight on what you see uh, going around.
0: Well, we have some data privacy laws in Latin America. Mm -hmm. Some of them are actually very similar to what was created in Spain a few years ago. Uh, Those laws protect sensitive data, like the one, the ones used in in, in healthcare industry. Uh, Pretty much the differences, in the way uh that i can see in latin america is the way how they enforce it and in some cases the laws has just been approved so we're in the process of implementing them the challenge in most of the cases i think it's on the public sector that is the biggest sector on 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 or the biggest area that has healthcare uh, systems actually i was a co-author in a book published by the mexican data privacy authorities uh on on the law where i explained the biggest risk about data privacy in the public sector Uh, and pretty much what i stated is that the local entities will not have the same budget the skills or time to implement the same systems and protection as the federal government this applies to all the public hospitals and the way they are storing the patient information some of them they only have the information in paper. They do not transfer that information to other hospitals or other entities. Some of them, they have their own systems. But, yeah, they could be connected or not to others. Some of them pretty much outsource the processing and the managing of the medical records. And we have had a, a, a huge issue here in, in in Mexico. A couple of years ago, a person named Bob Diachenko in, in, in Ukraine, was spending his nights looking for, for databases that will be published without the password. And he was able to find a database with 1.3 million medical records from, from Mexico. He contacted me and, and uh, I helped him to figure out where it was from. That information was from one specific state in Mexico called Michoacan. Doing some investigation, I was able to find that they were trying to find a database administrator for probably six or seven months. But at the same time, they actually got a contract with the government where they have to store and process and manage the medical records of of, of these patients in, in, in Mexico. All their information was available in the internet without a password. So yes, probably they decided to transfer the risk to, a, to another entity, but at the end, that entity was not able to secure the information. We actually brought down the information. Uh, we were sure that, that nobody saw it. We tried to contact the, the company. They, they said that they didn't have anything to do with that, but the company a week later disappeared. We actually uh, gave all the information we had to the local authorities, in this case to the data privacy authority, and uh, they actually uh, tried to find them and they were not able to find it anymore. So they pretty much disappeared. So, okay, you know, we have law, we have a law that will protect this sensitive data, uh, like, like these medical records, but. Now that their information of, of, of all these patients were af- was affected, now what? We cannot do anything to bring it back as it was before. Yes, it's going to be a penalty to this company, but at the end, the data remained in the Internet for, for some time.
1: That's 1.3 million patients that we're talking about being exposed. So that's, uh, that's very, very uh, insightful you know uh, you know it's interesting you know you having a technology background obviously you have to intersect with policy and regulators obviously with industry demand and um you know boards of directors that kind of thing and i ask this of all my guests um you know there's always this debate that regulators and policy makers need to do more to require you know the engineers, the developers of hardware and software, and these connected medical devices, and building more security features. Do you share like a similar perspective that you feel policy and regulation needs to step up more, or do you think maybe there needs to be more de- the the technologies come together and collaborate and develop technology standards to address the problem? I'd like to hear your perspective since you intersected all these different um, uh, domains as you as you go through this process.
0: It is very interesting, this, this question, because I have been doing this forensic side of, of uh, my company for, for a while. And one of the biggest challenges that I have been facing and uh, that I have been working with, with a lot of uh, entities out there, like the Council of Europe or the Na- United Nations and, and things like that, is technology brings a, a different way of understanding how things work. If I have a case where someone actually access this medical record around the, uh, from another country around the, wor- the world, at the end, on the technical side, is just a click. I don't, I don't know if they are in another country that doesn't have the law or has a law around cybercrime or not. So, if I bring this uh, to try to 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 answer your your question, there's a huge thing that we have to consider, and is it is called jurisdiction. I I had to spend probably two years trying to understand jurisdiction on the way the lawyers understand it, based on what I just just mentioned. So when we're talking about creating law around technology, you're talking about controlling something in a jurisdiction. Yes, in the States we have the HIPAA to address cybersecurity on the health system, but we don't have that in, in, in Latin America. We just have these de- data privacy laws. So how we can interact in a world that is now connected in a way that on the example that I was mentioning, the information, that data from these medical records was in a server that was, or at least that's what, I, what we investigated, uh, some servers in the States, in the United States, not really in Mexico or in Latin America. So now when we're talking about globalization, when we're talking about that uh, the information is pretty much or it could be in any country in the world. If we talk about law, we're going to be blindfolded because that will only apply to some countries. Therefore, I prefer to talk about standards, best practices in some cases, if we're not able to create uh, standards. And then try to be able to adopt those standards globally, that we don't care if there's a law or not, we will be able to solve most of the issues that we're facing.
1: That's really interesting. And and I'm, I'm so delighted that you brought up this point because often we say, Well, when we talk about uh, healthcare uh, without borders, right? Being able to take, oh, I could take my data and go into this other country and be able to get, they'll have my whole history and be able to take care of me. And we also worry about the technologies in doing so or the data taxonomies or the languages, but you brought up a important point, which is there is no harmonization of policy around healthcare data. So, although we may have technology means, we still have the challenge on policy And as well, as you mentioned, just in general, the technology standards and and data standards around all that thing. So, um, I'm delighted that you brought that point up because I tend to hear these debates on this whole arena quite a bit. Uh, So, from there, you know, you, uh, I thought this was very uh, interesting coming from the US when you said to me, you know, we need, we need, we need the CIA. In the cyber vulnerabilities and anything from connected health and anything we do and naturally, I was thinking of, you know, the central intelligence agency in the United States, but you were referring those 3 letters to something else. So, I just want you to share with our audience what you were talking about when you said, CIA, and exactly what um, in reference to um, how this can be applied to this uh, to this growing challenge.
0: Well, about the CIA is not really my vision. It's something that we have to learn when we are studying cybersecurity. And it is called the CIA triad. That is a concept that focuses on the balance between confidentiality, integrity, and availability under the protection of an information security program. So uh, when I I, uh, try to link it into the health uh, sector, these elements are very, very important. You know, confidentiality, that only the persons or... Uh, the the devices systems that are allo- allowed are the ones that are uh, looking at the information integrity uh, we're talking about that the information or the data is not changed uh, without any any uh, record control or that it has to be changed and availability uh, pretty much that you can ha- have the information or data when you need it so uh, when using an example uh normally I, I I mentioned two examples the first one uh about our bank uh bank account so I don't want my bank account to be public so that's why it needs uh, confidentiality I don't I don't want my bank uh, account to show a wrong uh wrong number of, or no how how much I have on it uh well if it's if it's uh uh over what I used to have I will be happy but that will gonna be weird uh, so but if I I, I I access to my my bank account and I see uh, less that what I, what I had well I don't want that to, to happen and the third uh, thing is uh, if I need to use what is on my bank account I na- I need to be or I, I need that uh, to be available uh, to me if I move it into the into the health sector what happens with this medical record? What happens with this device that i that is attached to me that needs the information that that will have uh, some information that has to be exact and and it cannot be manipulated so those three concepts we normally talk about uh, these three three elements with with uh, decision makers that we need to make them understand that these three concepts is the base of cybersecurity and they need uh, to be linked to the strategy of, of the company the processes or processes, uh, that we want to secure. So I don't want my medical record to be public. To be changed in their content that could have an allergy that I don't have, or, or the other way. And I need that record to be available when I get to. A position that I needed.
1: Very, very important. Based on what we talked about today and all your experience, um, perhaps you can <clears throat> share a final thought with our audience on one of the, maybe one of the most important call to action for, a, uh, for an individual, a patient to take for the overall healthcare domain or for any other stakeholder you know wearable developer connected medical device developer to sort of take that action or take something into consideration to sort of move the needle on this growing challenge
0: I will get back to to how we started you know talking about risk, and uh, this risk is try to uh, have very clear what the risk is, so yes, you know for a hospital a facility. Uh, the information that you're receiving from your uh, patients, all the technologies, you know, that there are, uh, researching and, de- and developing new devices. Well, please consider cybersecurity cause, uh, that will help to solve issues, uh, right now, instead of, of finding out that later on, uh. There's going to be an issue with either data or information on how the, the, the device actually right. works. About policy makers, uh, we have to understand that we have to find out ways to make this something that everybody could apply, uh, meaning that there are mat- maturity models that we have to cover about security not not everybody is going to be in the highest range or the lower range we have to figure out how we can implement cybersecurity in a, in a very strategic way that could every year be improving uh, depending on on how how uh, everybody is, is is working and at the end to the patients uh, that is pretty much you me and everybody that is is uh, listening right now uh, Yes, there are some risks, and try to understand how the entity, the hospital, the the wearable, the medical devices that are you, you're using, could have uh, a vulnerability and and something that could, could affect you. I'm not trying to be fatalist. I'm trying to be kind of real. Uh, again, you know what as, what happened with with the COVID, uh, we had to understand the risk to decide which controls we have to apply. And I have been trying to understand how much we can get from from the COVID reaction to cybersecurity. And yes, on cybersecurity, we're going to be as secure as the less secure person is involved on what we're doing. It is a chain. So I would like to end. With a, a phrase that I that I love from a, a cryptographer in the states, in the United States, his name is uh, Bruce Schneier, and he says that cybersecurity is not a problem about technology; it's a problem about how we use technology. So don't blame the technology; blame how we're using the technology and who we're creating new technology.
1: Wow! And that is a very uh, profound parting uh, final thought. Uh, so Andres, you've shared really great uh, insight and concepts with us. And a lot of the things you're talking about, we are covering in the IEEE SA Healthcare Life Science practice, most notably to our audience, I wanna share with you, we are hosting a five-part virtual workshop series on global connected healthcare. Uh, we're doing this in collaboration with the Northeast Big Data Innovation Hub based in the campus of Columbia University in New York. And the series is designed to really bring anyone who is involved in technology, uh, either in healthcare practice, clinical research, regulatory, research in general, engineers, to openly uh, listen to some of the great concepts and new technologies that are out there, but most importantly, work together to identify and develop a framework to moving towards solutions, whether it be in the design of the products themselves in the practice, or in where we need policy to sort of, you know, uh, step up and help support the overall goal. Um, with this challenge, the series uh, takes place live in February, April, June, September, November. All of them are recorded on demand. If you're not able to get to 1 or all of them, and you can register for free at. I E E E S A dot I O backslash cyber. 2021 um, and we also cover this in many other uh, incubator programs from our telehealth paradigm, um, security, privacy, accessibility and connectivity for all. We have the decentralized clinical trials program. And of course, whammy, which is wearables, medical, IOT, interoperability intelligence. All of our incubator grooms are open and inclusive. We welcome anyone who wants to contribute towards moving the needle on the challenge. Um, and you can learn more about all of these activities at ieesa.io backslash rethink. I wanna thank you, Andres for joining us and sharing all this great insight and you the audience for being with us and continuing to follow us. Uh, we look forward to you joining our next episode, but until then continue to stay safe and well.
0: On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.